The more things change, the more they stay the same. This maxim rings true, especially in farm policy. Every five years, Congress passes a farm bill and along with the farm bill, like clockwork, come the same old attacks. Welcome to Groundwork. This is the podcast where we dig into farm policy. I'm your host, Tom Sell. The farm bill is slated to be reauthorized again in 2023, but already we're seeing hostile and half-baked criticisms from uh, from and about the, the uh, farm safety net. Luckily, we have some of the best in the business join us on this um, program of groundwork. We where we dig into the issues uh, and discuss them at length. And, and this month is certainly no different. In fact, this month is exceptional. My guest today is Dr. Rob Johansson. Rob is the Associate Director of Economics and Policy Analysis at the American Sugar Alliance and was most recently the Chief Economist at U.S. Department of Agriculture. That's an, ex- an extraordinary position that has so much depth and so much knowledge of, of the breadth of agriculture throughout this nation. So welcome, Rob. And, and uh, let's start with the question that everyone is asking. You recently took a new job at the American Sugar Alliance. And we're just all curious, what, what drew you to that position? Hey, Tom, thanks for, uh, for inviting me to join you today, talk about farm policy. And, uh, and certainly thanks for asking why uh, uh, I moved over to the American Sugar Alliance. Um, let, let's first say I'm, I'm really excited about joining the team there. Um, I, I really enjoy working directly with farmers. Uh, as anybody can tell you that knows me. Um, and I wasn't able to do that much at USDA. Um, so getting to know the sugar beet and sugar cane farmers after we, after we return to more normal travel is something I'm really excited about. I look forward to meeting them and their families and to learning about what makes their operations tick and what challenges they have each year in putting together a successful management plan for their operation. Um, second, uh, I was, you know, chief economist for the past six years, and I was uh, kind of looking for some new challenges, to be frank. Um, I feel I accomplished a lot at USDA. I helped reorganize the, the department in a meaningful way with the creation of FPAC, and I helped uh, develop some very innovative policies to help farmers with severe challenges, whether that's trade or, um, or weather disasters or the, the pandemic. Um, But working with sugar policy will be a new challenge for me that I'm excited about. As you know, there's a long and rich history of sugar production in the U.S. And there's a long and rich history of sugar policy in the U.S. to accompany that. Uh, There's an interdependent relationship between producers and processors for both the cane and the beet side. And there's complicated domestic and international policies regarding, you know, U.S. sugar policy and global sugar policy. So I've got a lot to learn. I'm really excited to dig in. Um, Of course, it was hard leaving all my friends and colleagues at USDA. I started at USDA back in 2001. So, you know, I knew folks in every nook and cranny at USDA from OCE to ERS, to FPAC, to HR, to operations, um, you know, from janitors to secretaries and from Washington to our, you know, uh, posts around the world and New Delhi and, Beijing. Uh, and saying goodbye is never easy. Uh, however, however, if there's one thing <clears throat> you get to know in government service, it's that uh, they've got a lot of committed people that are going to keep doing and have kept doing the good work of USDA over the years. 
um, and I look forward to working together with them in the future. Yeah, that's a gracious way of saying it. I, you know, I, I'm not sure all of our listeners really appreciate the role of the chief economist at USDA, but uh, it is significant. It's it's a non-political position. So, Rob, I, I speak about you. You advised uh, both Secretary Purdue over the last four years, Secretary Vilsack. Uh, before that, this chief economist is is really relied upon. Uh, it's it's in a lot of ways the, the analytical arm of the Secretary of Agriculture to help make informed and good and and rational and thoughtful and decisions where where you know the implications of those decisions and really uh, just a, a credit to you I you know everyone uh, agrees with the amazing job you've done there following in the footsteps of other great chief economists like Joe Glauber and Keith Collins before that people who I've known and had the greatest respect for so you've obviously been working in agriculture a long time and I'm sure you've heard so many of these arguments for weakening or undermining farm policy. One argument I've seen pop up recently is that, you know, rural America is doing just fine. Prices are coming up. They don't need a farm safety net anymore. That that argument will no doubt, no doubt be trotted out and, and tried. I wanted to just ask you, is that really the case? I mean, prices are up uh, for sure. And that's good news for a, for a farm economy that has struggled. But what's your take on, on this question? I guess I would say bottom line, Ultimately, there's a lot of farms out there that are just breaking even, even on their operations. Um, we know that more than half and up to 90% by some estimates of US farms do not break even on their farm income and, and have to rely on off-farm income to get by. And without the Farm Bill Safety Net, standing disaster programs, crop insurance, and commodity programs, many of those farms would have had to close down and sell over the last four years with all the challenges we've seen. And I, I think it's worthwhile to ask what might happen if, uh, if we weaken those, those safety nets, if we you know, cut back on the commodity programs or, or uh, weaken the, the strong safety uh, net that we get through crop insurance. Yeah, I, I, this is a great rhetorical question you're asking yourself, Rob. I, but just to break in your, you know, I often say farming is, it's incredibly high stakes. There is a lot of money moving through these, these farms. It goes with a high stake nature. And, and really a, a low margin business. So it makes these fluctuations in commodity prices really difficult to work through. But back to your rhetorical question, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to hear your, how, how you're gonna address this. Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of ways to think about this and obviously it is a sort of a rhetorical question. Um, but if we, if, we, if we just go back a couple of years to say 2014, um, at the time, you know, we were coming off historic high prices um, that we had seen leading up to that farm bill. Yep. Um, and we were running a pretty big budget deficit. And so Congress was kind of interested in moving away from guaranteed direct payments and sort of set up the ARC PLC program to trigger at times when farmers would most need it. Um, it was seen at the time as being, you know, prudent from a budgetary perspective. Right. And then since then, what did we see? We saw commodity prices continue to fall. Um, and we saw these, you know, rather, um, large shocks to the system that producers needed help to, uh, to, to adjust to and, and address. Um, so we had to set up the market facilitation program to help with the, the unforeseen sort of tariff situation we had with our, our major trading partners, China, Canada, Mexico. Um, and then we had the pandemic and you know the CFAP program has helped producers uh, from all shapes and sizes and all commodities um, 
you know, get through this this past year. Um, and I would, you know, I think we'll see a lot of universities putting together programs of research that look at this past year and past couple of years, in fact, and see, you know, where we would have been had we not had them in place. But I would I would venture to guess that it's certain we would have seen a lot more farms going out of production without those programs. Um, uh, and lastly, uh, or in addition, I guess I would say, um, just think about all the weather events we've also seen on top of those, right? We had the tariffs, we had COVID, but we had, you know, a really big hurricane year in 2017 and 2018 and 2020 with a record 30 named storms. Uh, we had, of course, the terrible planting, uh, flooding and harvest weather in 2019. Um, and without, without WIP and crop insurance, many farms by just those events uh, would have gone out of business. You know, we saw indemnities that not including WIP but, uh, or a prevent plant, but uh, that were you know, 7.3 billion in 2018, 10 and a half in 2019 and 7.8 in 2020. So yep. those are big, uh, big years for weather events. And um, you know, I, I think it was good. You know, obviously having the strong safety net that's provided by crop insurance was instrumental in helping producers deal with those years. Yeah, you, you, you described it as shocks to the system, but the, a trade war, the pandemic, on top of really some incredible weather events, it, it has been a, a perfect storm for agriculture. And I think the point you make is excellent, Rob. I, you know, but for the standing up of those MFP and, and CFAP programs to help farmers get through that, uh, yeah, I, I think a lot, a, a lot of the infrastructure that supports the, the food system in the U.S., starting with family farms, uh, yeah, so all in all, I guess I would just summarize by saying I don't think it's a good time to, to think about, you know, weakening the farm safety net. Because the critics always come after ag, even though even with its recent increases, it's still well less than 1% of the overall federal budget. And that is to uh, provide some some smart support for what is really one of our most foundational and, and, and fundamental industries, right? If we're not taking care of the of, of the farm sector and, and providing a, a domestic safe, uh, a reliable food supply, we're gonna have uh, problems bigger than a pandemic. So really in the grand scheme, it's a very small amount to spend. And yet the credit critics keep coming after it. Oftentimes they come after it, uh, even though it's such a small amount of the overall federal budget, um, uh, they, they act as if they can balance the federal budget uh, on, on the backs of agriculture alone. So I, I think it's wise to bring up those points and they're, 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 they're just going to be key going forward. And we're going to have to keep reminding people of, yep. of the small investment that's made that has such an outsized impact. In, uh, but, yeah, that's a great point, Tom. And I, you know, that's a sort of a bigger discussion. I, I totally agree with you. Um, you know, for example, agriculture, um, you know, as you mentioned, the critics of uh, sort of the farm bill and, and the, the way the titles are, are balanced, um, you know, they think they can uh, take care of this enormous uh, federal budget issue with farm programs. And as you pointed out, it's, they're such a small part of, of, of that, that um, it's, it's, uh, it is a bit uh, questionable on why um, those critics just confine their their discussion to to the farm titles. Kind of the last question I'd have, you know, every two years in Washington, obviously we have the 
privilege of starting with a, a new Congress. And it's important that, you know, ag comes together, that we all work together to defend farm policy. We need to lay the groundwork now for future policy debates. What do you think are kind of the messages that agriculture should be taking to the Capitol, to Capitol Hill right now? You've already talked about some of the initiatives going on up there, but I'd love to just hear your, your framing these issues out. Yeah, now, you know, there's a couple of things I keep in the back of my head when I'm, when I'm sort of uh, engaging in these discussions. And, um, and, I, and I think they're good, well, you know, they're good for me. I'm not saying they're good for everybody, but uh, I, would, I would keep these in mind when I'm talking to folks on the Hill. Certainly, I would point out that farm policy needs to provide a stable, a stable environment um, for continued private investments in enhancing farm productivity. Um, you know, we're seeing new seeds and genetics coming out all the time. The ability to, you know, uh, take advantage of new machinery and um, improve data utilization um, and improved uh, chemical inputs as well. So all of those go hand in hand. So we need, you know, uh, on a tight margin, like we've been talking about, it's hard to, to finance that, um, uh, that private investment in R&D. Um, but we can do it. Uh, we just need to make sure that farm policy provides that sort of stable um, investment horizon for producers. Uh, uh, second, uh, we we don't. I'm just sorry to interject, but we don't talk about that enough. You know the importance of of a dynamic farm policy sector that that is is um, increasing in productivity every year. Because you know, despite pandemics, our world is still growing. Uh, you know, seven billion and upwards. Uh, and we have to provide the caloric needs of the people first. That's kind of the foundational issue. And really, it's the U.S. farm sector that is adopting technology, investing, spending money to adopt pet technology uh, to meet those needs of a, of a growing world. So sorry to interject there, but I think it's such an important point that you made. Yeah, no, no, that's, uh, you know, I think a lot of times you'll hear about public R&D investment, and that's important. Don't get me wrong, but the private sector investment, you know, is as as outpace that public sector investment. And that's the reason why we're seeing these productivity gains on, on US, uh, US farms. Uh, and that, that spills over into other countries and that helps producers um, globally uh, to increase their productivity as well. So um, again, I, it's a, a point that's not emphasized uh, as much as it should be, I think. Um, and uh, to the extent that we can get that point across and just to let policymakers know that that it's you know it's important that producers are able to to make enough to to um, invest in those new technologies um, that helps not just U.S. agriculture but globally as well. Um, another uh, yeah, this is another one that I like to keep in the back of my head when I when I particularly when I'm discussing these issues with the Europeans is. I like pointing out that the U.S. system, ag system, food system is flexible. It's flexible enough to cater to multiple consumer demands, and we don't need to be prescriptive. We let the market sort of push production where it gets its best return. Um, and because of that, we see biotech uh, as a proven technology that's improved our ag environmental performance as well as our just production levels. Um, but at the same time, we also can support organics or other premium uh, products uh, that have a place in our system that's supported by a subset of our consumers. So 
we yeah. I just like pointed out that our system is big enough to allow for both and we don't have to regulate what and how we produce. Along those lines, you know, our farmers uh, are gonna have been and are gonna continue to see as we you know, sort of talked about a little bit earlier, the impacts of you know, a changing climate before other sectors in the economy. Um, I think it's, if you talk to any farmer about this and, and they may not call it the same thing, but they've seen the changing climate and how it affects them and uh, whether it's water availability or growing degree days or the severity of hurricanes that they have to deal with. Um, so I would just say, you know, that's a reason uh, for keeping strong risk management tools such as crop insurance um, as part of their toolbox. So um, again, just acknowledging uh, the realities on the ground and having, uh, you know, having that, that toolbox available to producers is, uh, is a really important sort of leg of the stool when it comes to farm policy. You know, we saw what happened in 2012. It was a huge drought and crop insurance was able to deal with it. Um, I think that's the right direction to be moving towards as opposed to sort of moving in the opposite direction and relying more on um, sort of uncertain, uh, both with the timing and, uh, and whether coverage would be available to, re you know, counting on um, sort of the ad hoc disaster bills coming out of, out of Congress every time there's a problem. Um, and I'm just pointing that out because I know we've got a pretty a pretty large drought right now, as, as you probably know, across the Southern Plains, extending all the way up into Iowa and into the Southern Rockies. Um, there's a lot of a lot of land under exceptional drought. You know, we comes not, you know, we've talked about the hurricanes, but we, you know, we have all sorts of weather issues in the US. And if one area is doing well in one year or the next year, it's probably gonna have something, a freeze, a drought, or what have you. So again, I'm just um, not trying to, to sell crop insurance here, but I think um, scaling back on it at this time is, is uh, not a good idea. I, I think it's a brilliant point, uh, Rob. And I, I, I would just tag on, you know, um, when, when, when these disasters have been done in recent years, it, uh, part of the problem has been, we've had this long kind of uh, degrading uh, uh, recession on, in the ag sector. And we have very low, crop prices. One of the nice things about the higher crop prices now is it even makes the value of, of, of crop insurance stronger, more reflective of, of what the farmer is putting at risk. So uh, hopefully we can get to a place. When I talk to farmers all over the nation, they say, gosh, we, we want, when, when we're thinking about risk protection for weather events and that, that part of the risk profile that farmers face, they want something that's reliable. And there's nothing that does that better than federal crop insurance. It's been supplemented uh, the last few years, but but it continues to grow and improve, and and uh, hopefully we'll meet the needs uh, in the in the years to come uh, with those higher price selections. Um, Rob, you're brilliant. Thank you so much for for joining us today, sharing these insights, this great depth of experience that you've had uh, from your time at USDA, from your study prior to that, um, and, and all you do. We're so looking forward to your work uh, at the American Sugar going forward. Be sure to check out Farm Policy Facts on Facebook for the listeners. I'm sure that Rob will be joining me for future episodes of groundwork and, and perhaps unscripted, targeted kind of answers to some of the critics' charges that are out there, our new video series that you can find on Facebook uh, that's going to keep on pushing back against farm policy critics. That's going to do it for this episode of Groundwork. Thanks for joining us. 
I'm Tom Sell.